Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healers Soundboard. A few episodes ago, episode 70 in particular, we did our first episode really that comes directly from our new workbook that was released in December, which is How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery. And on that episode, episode 70, titled Meet Your Habit Self, we dove into our habit self and our habits and what that all means in our healing and in our journeys. So these workbook episodes have come as a direct request from you all, the viewer, the listener, to really dive into the work and all that is in this incredible workbook without even having to have it. So we're following it from cover to cover and inserting over the next really few months, over this next year in 2023, numerous episodes all devoted to different sections of the workbook, looking at those habits that we all have, particularly how they become in our physical habits. So we are looking at the physical nature, our physiology, particularly our nervous system. We thought that those of you who tuned in to last episode where we talked about fear, um, that having this conversation, you know, around the physiology, literally of fear, how fear lives in our body, how our body becomes activated when we're perceiving a threat would be really helpful. So I think a really important acknowledgement to make for our human body and all of the wisdom that it holds is that it is always on alert. It is quite literally always through a process called neuroception scanning outside of our awareness, our environment to detect the possibility of threats, something that could cause us physical or emotional harm with the hope that the quicker it assesses the possibility of threat, the quicker we can spring into action. We can deal with that threat. And in service of a quick assessment One of the things that happens through this process of neuroception, again, all outside of our awareness is we get really black and white with our categorization. We try to do so so quickly that we shovel or funnel things into safe and unsafe categories and we lose all of the gray, all of the nuance to our experiences. Again, in service of speed, efficiency, the quicker I can determine that this, yes, is possibility is possibly unsafe the quicker my physiology, my body can deal with that event. And so much so that the more we find ourselves in consistently unsafe situations, the more actually structurally our brain begins to change. And if you tuned into last episode, we talked about um, PTSD, those big moments of overwhelming stress where our body could physically be harmed, be you know annihilated. We could face imminent death. And we also talked about CPTSD or those consistent moments of overwhelming stress that overwhelm our resources or our ability to cope, which might not be in terms of physical damage to our bodies, but emotional and psychological. And for those of us that have experienced either of those instances or in our childhood experiences, mainly where they happen, our brain actually structurally begins to change with the part of our brain that's tasked or one of the parts of our brain that's tasked with dealing with threat called the amygdala actually becomes hyperactive. And that then structural change, we maintain it unless, of course, we become conscious and intentional and begin to shift that patterning in our neurology. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But until that happens, that overactive amygdala will actually 
perceive in that very black and white way threats, even where threats aren't present. And there was a really groundbreaking study that really impacted me. And so I think I'd share it here with you all, which is they researched um, showing participants who have you know, had those overwhelming past experiences and that structural change, that hyperactive amygdala, always looking for that next threat at hand. And they actually presented them with objectively determined or assessed neutral faces. And what they came to find is that with that structural change in the brain, that overactive amygdala, that neutrality wasn't reflected back. What the participants actually saw and interpreted in these very neutral faces was hostile faces, again, indicating the possibility of that threat. It's kind of like many of you have resonated with when someone needs to talk to you or maybe a boss, coworker, partner, anyone says they need to speak with you. And immediately there is a visceral, mm-hmm. a visceral reaction. You can feel in your body, my face gets hot, my palms <laughs> get sweaty. Immediately, all that's coming into my mind is I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. I've upset the other person. I'm the one entirely responsible for this emotional state that I've actually only created in my mind that they are or not in. I'm already primed to receive that threat. And I'm scanning my environment. That is what neuroception is. I'm scanning and sensing and already validating that threat. That scanning and sensing and validating that threat in my mind is sending messages to my body. That is a two-way street always communicating with each other. So that then is going to send my body, particularly my nervous system into a specific response, which we then can begin to note as those sweaty palms, that racing heart, that clenched jaw, that tight chest. We begin to notice our physical response to that state of stress. And to complicate things even more, not only are we we primed with our nervous system um, through through neuroception to to see this, this threat, our mind now gets involved and we have this I call it the mind's filter. Um, It's a part of our brain that actually helps us deal with the incredible amount of stimuli that we have to deal with on a daily basis and all of the possibilities of what someone saying, I need to talk to you, could mean. We filter it out based on our deep-rooted beliefs, usually, again, wrapped around the consistent occurrences in our life. And that part of our brain is called the reticular activating system, or the RAS for short. So now what happens is in that moment of time where we don't actually know, we're, we can't know exactly what someone's intention is, what their desire is, why they might not be speaking to us or need to talk to us, whatever it might be, in the absence of knowing, we're going to be filtering through that deep-rooted belief that maybe has in the past translated to, I have been in trouble. Circumstances are unsafe when someone doesn't speak to me or when there's distance. So then we become really selective with our thoughts and we begin to then recycle, oh, it's because I'm in trouble. It's because I've done something wrong. It's because I've become unsafe. And then with the help of our articular activating system, we almost put a monocle. Um, I don't know if, if that's translating, but this kind of like filter where we're seeing exactly what we want to see. We're inserting the story that's become the most frequently used. We're then plucking from our experience. Oh, there is distance here. I can make sense of it in this age old way that I've often always make sense of it. And now I literally become locked in this physiological and neurological cycle of reinforcing that lack of safety in my mind and in my body. I 
personally would switch the word monocle for like a pair of sunglasses. For every I couldn't filter, think of anything better. <laughs> for every filter I have or this RAS, reticular activating system. And I was giggling if you're watching the video because a couple of years ago, we were trying to create a visual <laughs> diagram of the reticular activating system. And I have this adorable <laughs> picture of Nicole smiling ear to ear with a laptop next to her of these little images with arrows going around them to like depict <laughs> the cycle that our brain goes through when we think of something and then we spot it. And if we looked at it, you would you would have not a clue what it was trying to express or say. It was very sweet. So it's become a little joke on our end, but it it is that. It is a pair of sunglasses, essentially, for every belief we have. On the last episode, actually, I talked about this image of the iceberg, right? You see the tip of the iceberg. What you don't see is about 90% of the iceberg submerged underwater. That's your subconscious. That's where those self-beliefs are. These conditioned beliefs that there are so many of, we're not going to become aware of them all. Many of of them all, many of us aren't even really aware until we pull back and start to interview ourselves. We're not aware that some of the views that we have about the world or society or religion or intimacy, money, race, culture, all these perspectives and beliefs that we have that we think are ours are actually a result of the set of conditioning where we come from. That's all part of that really submerged iceberg. So what happens with that RAS, all that conditioning or those beliefs that were then learned and already instilled before you consciously chose them, we have for each one, a set of sunglasses on. We have another set of glasses on top of that for the next one. So really imagine a person standing here with like you know, going straight out 10 feet of all of these just hundreds of pairs of glasses, each with a different filter and lens for which we see the world. When we become aware of those filters, we begin to then be able to remove them and consciously choose what is actually aligned, which is a whole separate episode and things that we will continue to get into. But it is important to know that RAS is a really powerful thing to even just be aware of. You know, if you start, I think we gave on Twitter an example of Subarus. Like, are you really seeing more Subarus on the road or insert whatever car you want? Are you really seeing more of them? Or is it because for whatever reason, maybe you're thinking of getting one that is suddenly on your mind, even if it's subconscious, it's part of the iceberg underneath. You're not consciously always thinking about them or even aware that you are, but they are in your thoughts. They're part of what is floating through your mind space and that thought process. So your brain sees that signal. It has a pair of sunglasses on and it's quite literally scanning through neuroception. This is that inner sensing it is scanning your environment and filtering those into your consciousness so that you notice them more and it validates then that subconscious thought or that submerged iceberg. And I think, you know, even hearing this, this conversation and knowing that as the workbook, as you proceed in the workbook, we have a whole section um, dedicated to exactly what we're talking about here, these deep-rooted beliefs. So I absolutely think we will dedicate a future section 
or a future episode, I should say, to this deepening, this exact conversation. And what is important as we're kind of sticking with the body piece of things here is that for the large majority of us who in our childhood didn't feel safe because of circumstances that we were born into, because of a lack of emotional attunement or someone else helping us feel safe with different stress in our life, with different emotions, with the experience of just being human, what is stored in our body that's then affecting these filters and affecting our neuroception is fear, is a stress response, is a dysregulated nervous system, is the inability to, because all of us are wired, our body seeks balance, seeks peace, seeks relaxation and connection. And I know for a lot of you listening, that might be a great idea. And for me, it was a very long time or for a very long time for me, it was just that a nice thought, something I desperately wanted, though the reality of my body was my body never actually felt safe. My nervous system never learned how to deal with stress and to return back to that safe space because all of the adults around me they themselves couldn't deal with stress either. They were locked in their own survival mode. Their nervous system and neuroception was literally seeing a threat at every corner. So the only messaging that my nervous system was getting, because our nervous systems are wired to connect, we need someone else in childhood to help us come back to safety when our body is feeling overwhelmed with stress, I never had that opportunity. And with the consistent stress in my external environment, in my immediate family environment, in my emotional environment, not having that attuned parent, my nervous system never went from that dysregulated state of fight, flight, or flight that we'll talk about in a bit back to that peaceful, calm existence. And that's a reality I'm imagining is the case, maybe even the present reality for many of you listening, that your nervous system is dysregulated, is sending those signals that you are under threat. Even if objectively there is none present, that's what your mind is being told. That's the information that's being received. And that's, again, affecting the filter that you're going to continue to remain locked in that survival mode. And you can learn everything that you just shared by witnessing yourself, your responses, your reactions, your habits. This is why intentionally it is a natural flow from that episode 70 or the beginning of the workbook, meet your habit self. For example, that state of nervous system dysregulation or stress, I might not be, you know, consciously thinking or tuned into, oh, how's my nervous system doing? However, I'll paint a picture of the other night. I was laying in bed super early at like seven, laying there, just eyes closed, like hands on my chest. I think Nicole pops into the bedroom to get into bed and just is walks up to the bed next to me, stands over me. The moment I open my eyes and can like sense that there's a person there, I must have like jumped a foot <laughs> off the bed, probably screamed and gasped and was like, oh, it was like shock and horror. Nicole is a trusted partner in my close proximity 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And yet in that moment, my body was not in a state of safety. And I can tell by its response. Here's someone I love and trust and know and can feel the sense of being around. Yet when I was laying there and my eyes were closed and I opened them, I was so startled. Now, was it me necessarily taking all into consideration knowing it was Nicole? No, my body was one step ahead of me. Its nervous system, my nervous system, 
was already in a space of unsafety, of some sort of dysregulation. And I was able to learn that and see, okay, there's still some work to do here to create that safety because I would have then responded differently. So there's always endlessly, my favorite quote, there is more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy. That is by Nietzsche. And I say it over and over again because your body internally and externally is always showing you and sending you messages of endless wisdom for you to learn and to understand yourself so that you do have that context and foundation of what's really happening and you can begin to become aware of that submerged iceberg and get to know yourself and then be a conscious creator of yourself instead of a passive participant. So I think it it might be helpful um, because we are all universally connected um, in terms of our nervous system and the different responses that we go into when we're perceiving that threat. Again, acknowledging that all of us might perceive threats. Each of us might perceive threats in different instances based on our particular past experiences, though. If you don't feel, so let's start with that kind of what we'll call a safe and social, that calm, balanced state that I started to describe earlier. You know, that again is our our resting state as humans. We're able to feel authentically grounded, connected, connected to the world around us, connected to other people. We feel safe in our bodies. We're able to access the desire to connect or the compassion to be bonded with another individual. Again, I know not some of our lives might not reflect that externally, though internally that is how we are wired. That's how our species actually has learned to not only survive, but to thrive by caring compassionately and bonding together with other humans. If you in that state, let's start with what you do feel, you're able to deal with stress, to remain grounded, not to become reactive, not to become so muddled in our thoughts or lose sight of the bigger picture. We're able to maintain a logical, grounded, responsive way of thinking or of being in that particularly stressful moment. So when that doesn't happen, when for whatever reason we perceive a threat around us, all of us universally will shift into what's known as fight or flight mode. We'll attempt to deal with the stress. We'll attempt to do so by mobilizing the energy in our body. We might feel our heart begin to race. You might feel our blood begin to pump. We might feel our muscles begin to tense around us. Very much concurrently, we might feel anxiety. We might feel stressed. We might become really attuned, like, to the what's happening around us. If Jenna's eyes weren't closed in that moment or that example, we might be scanning the environment, looking if we hear a noise out in the hallway. What is that? We almost feel like we're jumping out of our skin. Visually, we might be always on alert, scanning, looking, looking, always on alert, scanning and looking. When we are in fight or flight, we lose access to conscious thought, to logical thought. We become very immediate in our solutions. We do exactly what it is that we need to do or think we need to do. We deal with the threat. We deal with as immediately as we need to, to keep ourselves safe. And in doing so, sometimes we become critical, judgmental, mean. We almost delete the other person from our experience again, because we're solely focused on our survival. If then in the circumstances where we we perceive the threat is just too big. We can't fight it. We can't run away from it. Maybe again, we're a child. So we physically can't leave our home environment. It's just too much. It's too overwhelming. Universally, we will all shift into what is known as 
the freeze response. And you've heard me describe it as my spaceship where we dissociate. We quite literally, as opposed to mobilizing our energy, becoming tense, ready for action, we enter a state of what's called immobilization, where we might feel like we have no energy. We're stuck. I love how you always describe we're in like locked in sand. We actually can't move our body. Our muscles might feel heavy or weak. Um, We are numb to what's happening in our bodies, our physiological experiences. Like I describe it, I'm away on a spaceship. So I'm not even attuned to maybe the stress that is happening in my body. Mentally, we might feel blank entirely as opposed to our mind racing as it often does in that fight or flight. We might have a blankness or similarly, we can't think of an idea. We can't come up with a solution. And really, generally, we feel just disconnected, disconnected from ourself, disconnected from the world. Um, I've had a lot or I've heard a lot of listeners or members of the community describe being depersonalized, right, where we don't even feel like we are in our human vessel. Again, because mobilizing our energy, we can't fight it. We can't leave the situation. Our best option in that point is to play dead, to be as not present as possible. If we can't move, take our physical body away or overcome what's threatening, we become a non-threat, hoping that the threat goes away in and of itself. Then there's the ever-present and resonant fawn response, aka the people-pleaser response. So if you've heard any of our previous work and resonated with the caregiver or the fixer archetypes, This may very well be a prominent response for you where when a threat is sensed, rather than fight it, leave, or freeze, we, in an attempt to avoid that threat, will betray our own selves or go into a hypervigilance to please the other, always coming from a space of not feeling safe, of feeling threatened. So we snap into, let me betray me. Let me meet your need. Let me please you. Let me essentially pour sweet sugar over all of this and appease you to make it right to avoid any sort of threat or any sort of consequence. With a bit of that context and understanding that even a small foundation of what each of those different responses are, we then have an understanding that allows us to expand into becoming aware of ourselves and our own responses. So let's take that fawn response, for example, this ever popular fawn or people-pleasing response. That then is going to look like in habit. So habit is that, how does it show up in the external world? A hypervigilance, a constantly scanning your environment or being hyper-focused on those around you. I could notice if you walk in the room and you trimmed even just an inch of your hair, I will immediately notice it. I will immediately notice any sort of minimal shift or change. There's a hyper-focus. Now, there's a reason I developed that response out of protection as a child. I could walk into any room. I could scan and I could sense, unknowing I wasn't conscious to this, I would scan and sense the environment around me as a state of protection. If there was a need that needed to be met, if there was a parent who needed to be parented, then I would show up like a good little child to meet that parent's need to be hyper-focused on them to make sure that I could control or contain and please that environment in an attempt to avoid disruption or to stay safe. 
So looking at that's an example for fawn. The same goes for fight or flight and freeze or dissociating. In each of these different responses to become aware of ourselves and how we show up in those, there's a series of questions you can begin to ask yourself. Now, if you do have how to meet yourself, these questions are coming directly from page 66. And if you do not have the workbook. You can, of course, buy it anywhere, or also you could jot these questions down or follow along here. So looking at each of these different responses, what are some signs that this state is active in your body? Let's take fawn, for example. Active in my body is an instant heart racing. As soon as someone walks in the room, I'm immediately scanning. I'm hyper-focused. I'm alert, or I notice I'm very on edge. My mind is very sharp and attuned. How did this state help you survive? How and when does it continue to be helpful? Well, for me personally, this fawn response helped me survive because it allowed me to appease or create a false sense, really, of safety by constantly tending to the turbulent or chaotic or abusive environments around me as a way to put a Band-Aid on or sort of salvage some sort of false peace so that the threat wouldn't increase or put me at risk. The last question, how is this state making life difficult for you? How is it not aligned with the deepest wants and needs of your authentic self? We'll again take fawn. How is this state making life difficult for you? Well, in any given environment, no matter who it's with, who I'm around, I'm constantly on edge. I'm constantly focused on the external, betraying my own needs and own self, disconnecting from my own body and authentic self to focus on the external environment over there, which is actually an environment that I do not have control over. The only environment I have control over is me over here. So how is that not aligned with the deepest wants and needs of my authentic self? Well, it is actually in direct betrayal of my own alignment with my authentic self and my own needs because I'm focusing externally over here on what I think are meeting the needs of another, which are actually putting a Band-Aid on or a false, creating a false sense of safety really to keep me at bay from that threat. I couldn't help but smile when I heard you say that because one of the most destabilizing and awakening um, for the opportunity to create change moments for me was, and it wasn't just a moment, many moments when I became so acutely aware of how I very much like you shifting into that fawn response very, you know, consistently and regularly, how I had no idea what I wanted or needed. I had no idea what my body was telling me. So my journey really had to begin by reconnecting with my physical body by even noting that, oh my gosh, I have a nervous system and it is shifting and changing my physiology. I spent so much time away on my spaceship or worrying about other people that I never actually turned that focus of attention to what my body was physiologically telling me. So for anyone listening and the reason why we went through um, some of these kind of markers, physiological, what you'll see, what you'll experience, what you'll feel when you're in these different nervous system states to give you the opportunity to begin to bear witness, to see, to observe of your own physical body. When are those moments when your body is shifting in 
to those reactions? What maybe might be activating it? We like to use the word trigger, right? What is happening out there that's creating that shift and change all outside of my awareness until now? What I was alluding to in the beginning of the conversation is now I'm becoming aware. I'm seeing, I'm feeling my heart rate shift. I'm seeing the tendency to look more outwardly or externally or worry or ask even about you before I tune into what it is that my body wants or needs. So that then, I like how you called it, Jenna, false sense of safety once. And of course, I'm, I'm really simplifying and condensing this process because for me, it is still ongoing, truly learning how to reconnect with my body's landscape, my nervous system, so that each and every day I can stay committed to meeting its needs so I can even give myself the opportunity to be in that calm, grounded, responsive, present state that is our resting place is that daily commitment does not happen overnight in those moments though when i have now a choice i can begin to make choices to create an authentic sense of safety there's many different things that we can do with focusing our attention on the present moment with attuning to our senses with different breathing practices that we can now insert in that space that we've taken time to create to actually shift our body's physiology and one that I want to point out because I think it's a, a a simple yet powerful practice that again anyone who has the workbook and is following along can find something called the physiological sigh on page sixty eight. And generally, um, when we're breathing, we have air sacs. I'm really simplifying this, of course, in our lungs that inflate and that deflate as we breathe. And as we breathe and as those deflate naturally when we're breathing, our carbon dioxide level goes up. And our oxygen level comes down. Think about a balloon. When it's deflated, there's less air in it and there's less, therefore, oxygen in it. And the, there's more than carbon dioxide because those are kind of oppositional within our blood and our body and our lungs. And when that happens, when our body physiologically is sensing more carbon dioxide than oxygen, it actually becomes a stressed state for our body. So there's a practice that actually you can intentionally begin to do called a physiological sigh that will reinflate those air sacs in your lungs, increasing the amount of oxygen and shifting that signal of stress, of threat to a signal of safety, an authentic signal of safety. And the way that we practice this physiological sigh is we actually, instead of just taking, we're going to be using our nose for our in-breath and using our mouth for our exhale or our out breath. And instead of taking, as we naturally do, one inhalation through the nose, we're going to do two quick back-to-back. -back. So if you're watching, it'll, or if you're listening, it'll sound like that. If you're watching, I don't know if you can even see my nose, but it's two quick inhalations followed by a long, slow exhalation. And maybe you set the commitment to practice five of those and then tune in, drop in, notice if tension has shifted, if a feeling of stress has shifted a little bit. And again, it's two quick inhalations through the nose and then a long exhalation through the mouth. And what you're doing is you're reversing that deflation of those lung sacs and you're giving yourself more oxygen. And so you're giving your brain the message that it's safer, that your body isn't as under as much stress as it once was before you began that practice. Right. I love this physiological side. And what I think is so cool about it is if you pay attention to your body, this is this is a practice that, yes, we're 
sharing and is in the workbook to intentionally do. So you can call it upon yourself. You can do these two inhales through your nose and exhale through your mouth. You can do that. It comes from your body naturally doing it on your own. Those tiny air sacs that Nicole's talking about naturally deflate over time all throughout the day. They're called, those little tiny air sacs are called alveoli. So they're naturally deflating. Your body, if you witness it, I noticed when we were researching and doing this workbook, actually, I made this connection. I was like, oh my God, that's what that's called. I notice sometimes where my body will go into through my nose, a very quick double inhale, like a, and it'll, I can almost feel like it's pulling oxygen back in. And it was really neat to put that together as we were creating this and be like, oh, that's what that's called. It's a physiological side. Those are these little tiny air sacs called alveoli. And if I pay attention to my body, it already does that on its own. When they get deflated naturally over time, my body and this perfect computer system that it is that runs on its own without me instructing it already goes to that physical response to inflate those air sacs. That's it naturally bringing itself into balance to keep itself functioning. So when you become aware of these, this is just one example of a breathing tool that you can use. When you become aware of the different ways that you can help support your physical body and create a sense of safety for your nervous system, you're only doing things that your body also naturally does to bring itself back. However, now you're becoming a conscious conductor of it. You're becoming a conscious creator of setting that intention and following through with that action to create that safety in your nervous system, which is also creating safety and trust in that connection to yourself where just by doing it, you're also teaching yourself, hey, I'm here for you. There is a self that is here that has this body and is willing and able to take care of it, giving it gratitude really for the grace and all of the response that it's been trudging along trying to take care of itself this entire time. Couldn't help but giggle. I was very intentionally not saying I know you are. <laughs> name of it because um, I, one of the things that I'm very aware of is sometimes with my accent, I, I mispronounce things. I struggle with my vowels. And so I was having a bit of a giggle that I didn't say it. And I do appreciate you, you saying um, the actual word of it. And again, just offering this background here um, as we're getting ready to end this episode. The reason why we're talking about what we call here body consciousness, becoming aware of what our body is doing so that we can expand into that space and become intentional and create change. It's not to judge what it is that our body is doing. A lot of us, a lot of you, as you begin to attune to drop in, to, to leave that spaceship of safety maybe, and to reconnect with your body might notice a lot of these signals of threat, of stress stored in your body, as I know I once did. And it can become really natural to begin to judge, to be critical of ourselves or maybe our past circumstances that created those that environment, that physiological environment that we're still now carrying with us for some of us decades after those events that happened. And again, this isn't a conversation of what to do kind of emotionally with what it is that happened. But when we're turning that judgment 
back against ourselves, we're just, again, creating or continuing that threatening environment for our body. So much like I'm able to laugh that, you know, I mispronounce things quite often. My accent and my my vowels are tough for me. The more humor, the more objective even, we can just be, this is what's happening now. We don't have to be in judgment of what we're feeling in our bodies, what we're noticing about our bodies. And if we are able to shift into being that more neutral observer over time, we will gift ourselves then with that space that we're talking about, with then the opportunity to intentionally, because again, that's what body consciousness means, not just become aware of what's happening, actually become an active participant, like you beautifully said, Jenna, become a creator of a new experience of our bodies, of an authentically safe, experience with our bodies where we can extend that grace and compassion and actually embody, I love how you always say, our body and its wisdom. We can actually feel in reverence of this beautiful vehicle that we have been gifted to walk around this earth. And again, honoring that not all of us are there in our journeys, but if we're going to turn that critical lens and if we're going to become stressing of our bodies by the thoughts that we're thinking, we're just going to continue to keep ourselves locked in that stress cycle. So I'm hoping that this episode for those of you listening is helpful. Um, Maybe the beginning being just the realization that you need to reconnect with this beautiful vessel that you're walking around this earth experience in that daily commitment to rebuild that connection so that over time you can become witness to all of the messages that your nervous system is sending your mind so that then even more over time you can expand into this conscious intentional practice of creating change, of embodying authentic safety for yourself, for your relationships, and for the world around you. And as always, we appreciate all of you listening, all of you sharing. If this episode did resonate and you have humans in your life that you would like to receive this information as well, we appreciate you sharing, you commenting below, and we are committed to continuing these conversations about the workbook in particular in future episodes. As always, looking forward to continuing the conversation with you on next episode.